This is why small business matters from Northumbria University, supporting small businesses with the Help to Grow Management Programme. Hello and welcome to the latest Why Small Business Matters podcast, normally hosted by Northumbria University, but today it is on tour by the University of West London. We are very happy to talk about why small business matters, but more specifically, why apprenticeships matter. We are extremely delighted today to be joined by Janet Rosen, Director of Apprenticeships at the University of West London. With over 30 years experience in higher education, specifically in vocational education and work-based learning, Janet has been passionate about the value apprenticeships offer employers and their employees. Leading degree apprenticeship strategy and operations at the University of West London, Janet Rosen has grown apprenticeship numbers from a handful of starters to over a thousand, working with a wide range of employers from micro-businesses, startups to global entities. Shashin Shah is founder and CEO of OnePoint. OnePoint were recognised recently as SME Employer of the Year for the London region at the National Apprenticeship Awards 2023. Shashin leads a team of adept architects and engineers, steering OnePoint to craft and manage cutting-edge enterprise-grade solutions for global clients. With a remarkable 40-year journey in the industry, he is a fellow of the British Computer Society, is a testament to his commitment to excellence in the field. Shashin was born in Uganda in 1959 and moved to the UK in 1971. And in his own words, the UK gave him a helping hand and has been very keen ever since to contribute to the well-being of others in any way he can. Welcome to the podcast. Janet, we'll start with you. There are so many interesting places we could begin this conversation. We could begin with the very start of your multi-decade career at UWL. We could begin more recently to December and your National Apprenticeship Award accolade. We could even perhaps begin a couple of weeks ago when you got a lot of money awarded by the Office for Students to carry on the great work that you're doing. However, I'd like to personally start by reflecting you know, back to when you first were asked to start the apprenticeship team at the University of West London back in 2016 and your department's formative years. What happened during that time? Well, thanks, John. And uh, thanks for those kind words. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. So um been at the university for quite some time in uh, lots of different areas, but always work-based focused education. And uh, in my previous role, I had some experience of apprentices because my background's actually in hospitality, working with a wide range of businesses. But about six years ago, um, the university picked up, as well as I did, that the apprenticeship offer was changing and certainly the world of how apprenticeships are paid for and also the type of apprenticeships we could offer was changing. And it was moving away from that very early Um, skills-focused apprenticeships to also include something called degree apprenticeships. And being a university, it seemed a very, very logical step that we should start to investigate this. So um, I was asked because of my experience in previous roles of whether I would have a look at starting this up. And uh, it was completely brand new to me because when I look back now, I realise it was a business startup. But I didn't really clock that at the time. I just felt I'd been asked to do something. I sit within a large business and this is a new area for me to look at. But really, when you reflect on it, it was a business startup. And I had to learn all the tools that some of the people listening to this podcast will be smiling at. And I did have to kind of organically develop myself with these tools, for example, marketing 
but also employer relationships and actually understanding how important those relationships were. It wasn't about shifting the product. That was actually very quickly learned. If I went in with that strategy, I will fail. It was very much about I need to start getting to know my local businesses. And that's literally where I started. You know, who, who's around me? What's happening locally? And who might I have conversations with? So my knowledge increase, if you like, my learning curve was huge. And um, I think because I'm always a people person, which is probably why I went into hospitality in the first place and why I stayed in education, I do enjoy meeting people. I really genuinely do. And I'm quite nosy, so I quite like to understand how their business works, how do they make success. So as much as I was learning from myself and developing myself, I also learned from those early relationships with different businesses that I spoke to. So we started off very small. We started off with myself and an administrator. And literally six years ago, my first apprentices were in the digital area at degree level and there were five apprentices and that's how it started but I got a kind of even though I don't come from a digital background I got a real um, interest in that world of employing people in the sort of digital IT sector and quite quickly I think within those first 12 months Shastin and I connected and One Point Consulting started to become my next new partner to work with. Now, in 2024, you've got a service that supports over a thousand learners, you know, near 300 employer partners, one of which we have guests in this podcast today. Shashin Shah is founder and CEO of One Point. Uh, One Point were recognised recently as SME Employer of the Year for the London region at the National Apprenticeship Awards 2023. Shashin, tell us a bit more about you and your business. So, One Point Consulting was set up in 2005 uh, with a prime focus on ensuring we deliver value in everything we do. And I know a lot of people talk about value delivery to clients, but for us, it's a very deep personal aspect where, frankly, I don't really want to earn a single penny if the client comes back and feels, you know, the value hasn't been delivered. So we are trying to measure satisfaction at a very high level of contentment. You know, you should leave people with a really good feeling. You know what? I like working with these people. They're different. The value system is very much aligned to what we want to see. And they are really focused on delivering value for us as a client and not to benefit themselves. Now, of course, we are in business to make a profit, but not at the expense of leaving a client feeling, you know, that the value hasn't been delivered. So really, that's been a core factor in everything we wanted to do. But then value system means that we really want to take care of our people in a very different way. I'm so happy a couple of years ago, we rolled out an extreme set of benefits, extreme extremely positive set of benefits in terms of insurance, um, medical cover, dental cover, a critical illness cover, which a lot of people were telling me for a small company, that's amazing. So, you know, we really want to go out of our way to really create a very different supporting culture. And then for me, the third aspect is contribution back to society. And so that's why we get involved in the apprenticeship scheme. I'm very happy that we've also joined the London Apprenticeship Ambassador Network, where we can hopefully go and share some of our experiences with other employers and we support some refugees in Europe. And so really that is the key driver. And of course, we're a technology consulting company. We solve very complex problems for clients in the whole digital space, 
in the data management space. And so it's a great combination. We were really overjoyed to have met Janet and started to work with the University of West London. There were so many questions at that time. Frankly, we had uh, we had actually started the process of hiring graduates, but quickly discovered after one year, they gained great experience and then move on to big companies in the center of London. And I was saying, hang on, this doesn't quite feel right. Um, and so we wanted to build long-term relationships and really sustain students in a different way as we do. And that's something that, uh, you know, Janet and I talked a lot about. So really for me, just in summary, uh, every single question was clarified. How would the scheme work? We were asking Janet so, so many questions. And honestly, she answered every single one with so much patience, love. She visited us. And honestly, she got involved in the interviewing process, helped with the filtering process, and just in summary, you know, probably over the last four or five years, apprenticeships from the University of West London have formed probably about 20, 25 percent of my workforce. Um, so it's been an incredible journey for us. And honestly, I'm really indebted to Janet because, you know, she won't talk so much about her. But I have to say she's just been the most blessed godsend person for us in terms of the apprenticeship scheme. Um, so I'm just going to pause there. There's lots more I can say, but it's just been a fantastic experience for us. We're making it sound easy that, you know, presenting a, an apprenticeship offer to a business, in particular, maybe a time poor small business owner. But are there any particular pinch points um, at the beginning when you were starting off, when you were speaking to the likes of Shashin and others, um, where you realised, you know, this is quite complicated at times. How do I demystify? You know, what were the tools that you applied to make it easier for businesses there? Good question. We make it look like it was just gliding on ice, but it wasn't. Um, I think, first of all, because we had, as a university, had some level two and three apprenticeships, it means it meant that when the degree apprenticeship and the apprenticeship levy launched, we were allowed to still work with what was called SMEs. Originally, at that time, most providers, training providers, would only work with employers that were levy payers. But we had this additional funding to work with small employers who weren't paying the levy. Just for clarity, the levy at that time, um, the government would, for small employers, pay the majority of the apprenticeship um, study fees, but the employer would have to make a small contribution. And that is still the model. But in order to engage with the government to pay those fees, you had to have this specific allowance. That was one of the barriers, but my remit was very much about I need to reach out to small businesses. And when I had those conversations, it made me realise how much support I needed to give. One of the things that I think the National Apprenticeship Award accolade you received noted was the volume of activities uh, that you've undertaken and the average amount of events that you would kind of go out there and participate at. Very generally speaking, because there's very few people that have undertaken such a high volume of business interactions, for those that want to maybe improve the quality of their their outreach and, and you know, the, the quality of kind of um, partnerships that they're proposing uh, to businesses from the university side, what would, what would you recommend to those people? I think one of the fears for a small employer is that you're taking somebody into the business is absolutely the unfinished article. They are not ready to as a full-time employee. They may also be in their first job, but not always. I mean, a lot of our apprentices are people in their second or third career. They're having a career change. Um, but also in a small business, they've got to fit with the rest of the personnel. They've got to fit 
with the culture of that business. So that taking the time to do a proper assessment event, which we fully supported from the university side, was really important so that if you've got somebody in your business over a, a half a day doing some group projects with others, you start to really understand who they are. We also host those sort of events on the university campus as well. So an employer might say, rather than all the learners going to their place of work, they can come and use the university facilities. And then when we've made that selection, also making sure that that candidate has a whole day or a whole week in the workplace to see if they like it. Because if they don't like that environment or they don't fit or the employer feels it's not going to be a good fit for them, we need to get that clarification right away. And I think that's the difference between working with an SME on apprenticeships as opposed to some of my much bigger businesses and corporates that we work with. And as a university, we're very happy to provide that support. But I think it's absolutely crucial because then that person, particularly at a degree level, you know, one of the fabulous benefits of degree apprenticeships is that the, the candidate is going to be your employee for up to three years. So they really do need to fit in with the organisation, enjoy the culture. Now, One Point is a very unique business, and I always put them up as an exemplar. I've never been to a business where there are so many things that are around the well-being and care of the staff. You know, people who work for Chassin stay there for a long time because they are very well looked after. And that's not just the shared lunch and the meditation room, but also during the day working there, you know, every hour there's a pause, there's a little bit of meditative, reflective music to get people to stop and think. I mean, that that culture is pretty unique in my experience so far. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Janet. Um, I think uh, the whole screening side, um, the ability for them to spend a good day with us as part of the interviewing process, but also like, a, you know, so the interview process was one thing, Janet and the team supported us. But after that, we would actually invite candidates to spend at least a day with us in the office, in the environment, so get a chance to meet everyone and see just the way we structure things. And of course, we've had to adjust also because it's a learning experience from all sides. But for us, the objective always was to be how do we develop young people because that's part of our contribution back to society. Uh, It may take two or three years before somebody becomes available on a client project, for example, but we're happy to make that investment because the energy they bring in, the enthusiasm, uh, you know, most of my team has sort of been in the industry working decades. So we need that fresh blood, young blood coming in to make such a big difference. And honestly, their contribution has been immense. I mean, the first apprenticeship, the first person we took on board about uh, 2017, 2018 was just amazing. He really set the barriers really high, came up with the distinction. Uh, he stayed with us for one year. Then he went to went and did a master's. And after that, we realized people want to change. And that's also fine. You know, we encourage people to go to other companies to see how work life uh, actually develops. Um, but then, yes, it's a variety of people, right? Every person is an individual. So for us, it's always been about bring yourself to one point as you are. And how can we then support and develop you rather than this is who we are. Please fit in. So there's a bit of give and take on on all sides. So it's been a variety of people. I'm really happy the people who graduated have all ended up with distinction. Uh, they've stayed as with us an extra year. One person has decided to stay even beyond that, which is great. But then we've got two other people going through the apprenticeship scheme now, all degree level in the digital space. 
um, and very different people. One very sort of reserved, very quiet person, uh, you know, uh, quite shy also. Um, and so how do we bring that person out so that they can actually share their experiences? Um, so that's just an example. Really interesting. And, um, you know, we've we've gone back in time to when Janet set up her business, in her words, her startup. Um Shasin, you know, obviously 40 years of, of sound, amazing experience, but that emphasis on people and not necessarily it being about retention, but more about opportunity and nurturing. Was that something you had from the very beginning? I'm keen to go back to when you set up your current business um, and yeah. what mindset you had then versus the mindset you've just explained now. So I think I start, started the One Point Business in about 2005. Um, and really, after having worked for very large consulting companies, I learned an awful lot about uh, the way the world works and the way businesses operate and what their underlying values and principles are. But for me, there was also this sort of angle to the whole thing. As I developed my professional career, I was very much into charity work. I happened to come from a background where, uh, you know, we ended up being sort of refugees from Uganda and the UK really welcomed us. And so there was always this burning passion within me as I developed my career saying, actually, how do we contribute back to society? What do we put back into society? because that's a very important cornerstone of our philosophy. Um, and so even the way the business was founded, a number of us working on charity projects got together. Let's create a different type of consulting company. People should be at the heart of it. Let's really bring the best benefits for people. Let's adapt ourselves to the way people are, but still have some sort of value system. And really, that was the driver. And that's why we got involved in the whole apprenticeship scheme. And it's worked fantastically for us. Like I said, I mean, just by virtue of one example, when COVID hit all of us, it was one of our youngest members in the team, in fact, the first apprenticeship uh, who actually supported us, Janet talked about. And he came up with this idea, basically, you know, let's use Discord, which is a gaming platform to be able to stay connected during the COVID times. And honestly, we've stayed with it even now. So those ideas they bring in, very important. But, you know, fundamentally, what is it that we as experienced people should be doing in society, I feel, is put value back in other people because that's the true value we can bring to society. Let's make sure that if it took me 20 years to get somewhere, somebody else should be able to do it in five, 10 years. Otherwise, my value has got no value, frankly. So that's been the motivation for me uh, from the beginning. I um, really want to kind of um, dig a little deeper, Janet, into um, your non-standard educational journey, if you don't mind. Um, and... Um, you know, I think you spoke at the beginning about, you know, the organic kind of journey in terms of understanding the apprenticeship offer before you present the apprenticeship offer to businesses uh, and some of the things like marketing and other things you had to kind of learn or relearn as you built your apprenticeship startup within the university, if you like. Um, and I love how you framed it that way, by the way. Did that help in terms of your background? And for those that are listening that don't know your backgrounds, do you want to just explain a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I am quite proud of it. I mean, I wasn't a good student at school for various reasons. So my, my situation was, what did I like doing? Because clearly I didn't like any of the academic studies that I was doing. And my only thing was that I still loved cooking and baking. So in those days, they sent me off to do hospitality management, uh, which was a three-year HND programme. Um, I deliberately wanted to leave the Northeast at that time. Uh, wasn't a... a a place where lots of jobs were going on. So I did actually come to London. And from hospitality management, I then went actually into the practical side of hospitality and worked literally as a chef and then retrained um, just 
you know, came across a, a vacancy where someone said, do you love food and cooking and would you like to teach people? And, and literally just fell into the job. We have a, an old London newspaper called The Evening Standard and it was a little vacancy in the back pages. And I went for that job and then actually found out that actually, yes, my love of food hasn't gone and I like the theory behind food and cooking, but I actually really enjoyed that sharing that knowledge and, and training people up as well. So, yeah, from there I went, um, thought I'd better get some teaching qualifications and also improve my skills as well. So if I look back in my sort of late 20s, early 30s, I spent six years in part-time education, you know, getting my teaching qualifications, but also improving my own subject specialism. And uh, very happy with that and worked in education since then in hospitality, but didn't really realise that perhaps working in university, which was my then goal, that I would also need a degree. So it wasn't till you know, halfway through my life that I suddenly thought, well, maybe I ought to do a university degree. And then be, being the door was closed. They said, you can't come in because that lack of application in my youth, um, I didn't have the correct qualifications to come in and had to go and uh, resit a maths GCSE as it was at the time which is a little bit embarrassing when you're a mature person in full-time work with two children that you're sitting in an exam room with 12-year-olds or 13-year-olds. But I did it because I wanted to progress my career and then was fortunate to be offered you know, a full-time position in the university. But again, I was staying in that hospitality sector, um, which I really enjoyed and uh, had some fantastic experience and obviously worked my way up to a deputy dean of the school and did my master's more recently. So, yeah, I am a very late developer, late to education, but always focused in if I did anything around education, it needed to link to the working experience. It needed to be closely connected. Um, so I think I've demonstrated that. And um, I don't mind telling students who complain about having to perhaps reset a GCSE in maths. Well, I, I did it. I did it with a, as I said, a family and a, a full-time job. And if you want something, you can definitely apply yourself to it. And that's where I, I got to where I am now. It's fascinating. And, and one would imagine, um, you know, that journey up to that point and becoming deputy dean and having an academic-led career in higher education in particular um, would be enough. And, and to continue that journey. And so making that pivot from an academic, still tutor, lecturing-led role into what is possibly more administrative or managerial in the professional services sense. Two questions. One, why? And um, the second, you know, how challenging was that? Because there must have been some pretty challenging kind of obstacles in kind of making that pivot. Well, I think the attraction was, why not? You, you get to a stage in your career and you're, you know, you're pretty good at what you're doing, but this was something new. Um, I did feel I had experience about, as I say, work-based learning, and that's very much what an apprenticeship is. Um, new challenge, wanted something else to uh, keep me busy. Um, and I think the challenges are, I think for me, I understood enough about how my employers institution worked 
around the day to day. But it, I think that my growth has really been around understanding business. And I am very grateful to those very patient and tolerant employers who've, um, you know, I've, I've listened to what they've said. You know, I've, I've gone in with one agenda and then listened to their perspective and then suddenly realised, yes, I need to kind of really consider their their viewpoints and, and what their challenges are. So I think to me, it's, it's been a real um, renaissance, if that's possible. Um, you know, I just really feel very, very privileged. I mean, I do literally over the last six years think about, I still really want to go to work and I really enjoy what I do and every day is different. And yeah, things sometimes things don't work, but everybody who works with me will laugh because when I have a new idea or something new that we need to implement, I always say it's a pilot. It's a pilot. We'll see how this goes. Let's not get panicky. We can do it. And I would say probably nine times out of 10, Janet's pilots work. <laughs> Maybe there's a few that haven't that have crashed and burnt along the way. But I guess that's also about being in a small business, isn't it? Sometimes you have to take risk. And maybe you don't call it a pilot, but you take a risk. And I think I've adapted that same mentality, you know, that I will try something new. I'm very fortunate. I think I do have quite a lot of autonomy around what happens with apprenticeships in the university. And as I said, I will come up with some ideas and, and, and go for it and try it and we'll see whether it works. There are honest conversations to have, Shashin, and, and I guess, you know, mm. how helpful have those honest conversations been from the perspective of a business? No, absolutely. Like I said, in the early days, we had so many questions, uh, how the process would work, just the mechanics of it, the selection of candidates, you know, how will the university support us? What do we have to do? It's, it was such a learning experience. Uh, but the best thing about working with Janet was basically that all the it's just the approach, the interaction, the relationship building that she's so good at and the reassuring words, uh, you know, it, it really just answered everything. And we said, let's just go for it. And then we went for it in a big way and haven't looked back at that point in time. But you need somebody who actually takes the time to really understand the business. And that's what she did. She spent time. She visited us a number of times, joined us for our lunch sessions and really interacted with a number of my team, not just me, because it wasn't just up to me. It was up to a number of people because that's how a small business operates, right? Through consensus. Um, and literally everybody was just so, so comfortable. Um, and we said, right, let's do it. But it's reassuring the calm way that she deals with it and take took away all the paperwork. I mean, I was recently at, at, at a seminar where I think one of the ministers in, responsible for apprenticeship was there. And I was hearing at the roundtable discussion, a lot of people have had so many challenges working with training providers and the difficulties they ended up having. And it's like I was simply the only person in the room who was saying, no, our experience with the University of West London has been flawless. Yeah, we've not just had any big issue. Um, so really that level of support uh, is needed for a small company. Now we know how it works and we're happy to just go forward and support it. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to be part of this podcast to encourage other small businesses do it. It's a good thing. You'll get good feedback. You will feel content. You've done something for young people and contributed back to society. I think, you know, building on that and some of the recent meetings that you've had as well, um, and with it being National Apprenticeship Week, I mean, obviously this week, apprenticeships is in vogue. Um, but from next week and the month after and the year after, you know, in your opinion, Janet and Shashin, you know, where is apprenticeships going? 
and where should it go? Are they the same thing? Well, I think we can all read the news and, and hear what ministers are saying and we can look at the statistics. So um, apprenticeships growth is around those higher apprenticeships. And I think the the, the um, school leaver going into a level two, level three, more of a craft or trade apprenticeship has almost plateaued. But the growth has definitely been around what we call degree level, which could be a higher apprenticeship up to level five or full degree up to level six and also master's level um, up to level seven. And I have got apprentices in the university that have done their first degree apprenticeship with us and then been supported by their employers and gone on to a master's level. Now, I think that growth is really because all businesses, small and large, are thinking about what that workforce needs to look like in the future. And I think the perhaps sometimes a bit of the misleading information about degree level learning is that people become subject experts in, in a particular discipline and obviously study that discipline in depth. But that's part of what degree education is about. I think the other part that businesses benefit from is that at degree level, you're trying to encourage independent thinking, critical thinking, evaluation skills, because we all know that whatever we teach today will become obsolete. You know, that's just life, isn't it? But life is changing so quickly. Business is changing so quickly. Our businesses and what we do in our business has to be agile and changing all of the time because just technology alone never mind social and political pressures, but technology is is changing so rapidly. So, you know, hiring a graduate is great. Um, Obviously, they're going to come in with some fresh uh, contribution and that agile thinking and critical thinking. I think the, the degree level apprenticeship has the added value that they're also learning on the job and those specific business needs that you have in your business along with that critical thinking and agility, because that's what you need to grow your business. You need thinkers who are going to not be phased by you suddenly saying, I think we need to perhaps drop this aspect of the business. I think we need to embrace this new process. And we need people that are able to quickly pick that up and and go with that change. So I think the growth is in those higher apprenticeships, because I think we need those extra what I call higher level thinking skills in employees, not just the subject specific skills and and understanding. So for me, I think that is where the growth is. I hope politically they will keep supporting apprenticeships because I do think for a percentage of our, not just school leavers, but in society, there are people a little bit like me, I do learn better on the job than off the job. And uh, I think, as I said, apprenticeships are not for everybody, but for those people that really enjoy being valued, being paid, being in the workplace, learning directly from that employer, plus having that underpinning theoretical education, it's great. It's a fantastic way to learn, but it doesn't suit everybody. But I do think it would be a shame if we don't keep encouraging it. I mean, all the noises coming out of Westminster, I think, are saying, it is going to continue. I think they will tamper a little bit with it because they're a little bit worried about 
apprenticeships from a budgetary perspective. But um, I do see that's the direction of travel. And I think it's a very good model for our future skills development in this country and our productivity. In the digital space that we operate in, uh, obviously you've got a caliber of people from all over the world now that people have got used to tapping into. And so sometimes the challenge I have when I talk to my UK employers, employee, um, clients rather, UK clients, uh, is they're saying basically, well, you know, it's great, but can we have a bit more of your offshore resources? Because, you know, it works out cheaper for them. And, you know, I'm sort of explaining to them, yes, but if we continue to do that, how do we invest and grow our own people in this country? Uh, so, you know, you should also create working with small organizations and support uh, people uh, from the UK. So that's one of the challenges I'm seeing, particularly in the digital space. Uh, that we need to uh, keep on educating our clients. And the good thing is that a lot of them are understanding as part of their supply diversity initiatives, how they want to make sure they contribute back uh, to the diversity within the country. But but that is one of the challenges I see coming up in the digital space. Um, otherwise, from our point of view, frankly, I do hope the scheme continues. We tend to take on one or two each year and keep on adding uh, to the mix because it's important to bring young people in. Uh, and frankly, because our digital space IT is really more of a practical thing, it actually works out quite well uh, that they're learning on the job, supporting us. And yet it may take them two years before they get to a certain level. But even if they stay with us for one or two years after that, you know, the ROI just works out. So, yes, I very much hope so. Uh, the government will continue to support it. You're listening to Why Small Business Matters. Find out how Northumbria University can help your business thrive through the Help to Grow Management Programme, delivered by leading small business and enterprise experts from Northumbria University with the support of leading figures from industry and experienced entrepreneurs. The programme supports senior managers of small and medium-sized businesses to boost their business's performance, resilience and long-term growth. The 12-week programme is 90% funded by the government and the fee payable by participants is £750 and has been designed to allow participants to complete it alongside full-time work. The in-depth, high-quality curriculum supports you to build your capabilities in leadership, innovation, digital adoption, employee engagement, marketing, responsible business and financial management. By the end of the program, you'll develop a business growth plan to help you lead your business to realise its potential. To find out more about the program, the modules, eligibility and fees and delivery dates, go to northumbria.ac.uk slash help to grow. Welcome back to the Why Small Business Matters podcast. Hello, I'm John Charlton, Head of Knowledge Exchange and Business Engagement at the University of West London. And we're talking about apprenticeships and why they matter for small businesses. I think we've got a little bit of time, um, Janet, to possibly focus on um, and learn a little bit more about things which are now seen as commonly known forms of best practice in terms of apprenticeship standards how learners are treated, the learner experience. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I think learners might want to hear a bit more. Apprenticeships are always promoted and talked about as being tripartite. It's a three-person relationship. So from the get-go, I was very much around any apprentice that we have at this university needs to get a full university experience. So from a training provider's perspective, we made that decision, I made that decision, supported by the university, I suppose, um, that we wanted to give them the full experience. They have all the entitlements that any other student in the university gets. And that we do a lot of face-to-face on-campus teaching. 
even during lockdown, we managed to navigate that with face-to-face online teaching, not distance learning. And that's always been a very important part of the apprenticeship offer. And then from an employer's point of view, I do a lot of work with employers around their role and responsibilities. So we run events uh, globally to all our employers. Uh, We run them on campus. We run them online. And we really try to talk the employer through what their role and responsibilities are, particularly around the mentoring of the apprentice. As I said earlier in this um, podcast, you know, the apprentice is not the finished article. Uh, it may be their first proper job. Uh, maybe they've been in other work that hasn't really had such a strong sort of um, subject-specific focus. So you are shaping somebody and educating somebody who will need shaping, particularly around their behaviours and attitudes in the workplace, understanding the workplace culture, making sure they're safe and and well cared for, and that there's somebody in the organisation who is really interested in how they develop. So I do spend a lot of time with employers. And in fact, some of my employers, I'm going to do dedicated sessions because the employer has taken on a large cohort of apprentices. So I want to work with all those mentors in the workplace to make sure they understand what a mentor should do. You know, there should be someone absolutely championing the apprentice, be professionally interested in that apprentice achieving. They should be gate openers, not gatekeepers, you know, making sure the apprentice gets all the opportunities possible and, and really support and and be very interested in that apprentice's journey. So I think those are some of the things that I developed quite early on in the apprenticeship journey to make, because I understood that employers needed that support. And my professional team behind me, we've got a very clear KPIs in our response time that we're all there to support our employers, as well as our internal colleagues in the university but our employers are our customers and if they have a query or something that's troubling them we need to respond really quickly to them to make sure that they've got the answers they need so I think those are some of the um, specific things that we've been doing now I said that I also try to do as much as I can with local schools colleges career advisors and share with them how they might apply for apprenticeships because I think that is a gap at the moment around the apprenticeship world. And because we've been able to gain some specific funding from the Office for Students, I am using 50% of that funding specifically focusing on the applicant, making sure we can support them, that they can then apply for apprenticeships and be successful in gaining them. So one of the new projects that we're getting launched is this Apprenticeship Cafe, where we want people who are interested in doing an apprenticeship to come into the university and get some really good support. The support could be application writing, application forms, CV writing, because ultimately I think the bit that's missing in the sort of understanding about apprenticeships is that you are an employee first. You are applying to work with that particular employer and you need to take that attitude and use it Find out as much as you can about that employer and really consider will you be a good fit for that um, particular employer that you're applying to do the apprenticeship with. So I think that's where 
that's a new piece of work for me, but I think it's really important. I want to help employers. I want to develop this, what I call apprenticeship cafe type of world where I will create a pipeline for employers. So I can say, well, I've actually had this number of employees or potential employees who are particularly interested in the digital sector. I'd really like you to have a look at them if you're looking to take on a new apprenticeship. So those are the sort of strategies that I'm now investing in, having got that baseline around my staff supporting employers. We're supporting employers to understand mentoring. Now let's look at the applicants and make sure they're a good fit and they're up and ready to be good apprenticeship employees. We're blessed at the University of West London to be based in such a healthy economic region, you know, 100,000 plus businesses, you know, strip out the city. uh, And it's still the biggest, healthiest financial um, region in, in the country. But I do feel that that comes with its challenges. It's almost the biggest strength, but also a bit of a weakness, perhaps, when you've also up against other degree apprenticeship providers. You know, you're in the top four in London, which is frankly amazing. How have you managed to navigate those challenges? You know, it's a busy region. You've applied employee engagement strategy. You've shown that that's on the back of sound, you know, account-based support and giving the employer what they need. But in practical terms, that's resource intensive. So, so you know, what's the toolkit? What have you managed to do to, to do that? I think because... I had to learn how to be a good business relationship person from day one. I did have to learn and develop that, and I've developed that in my team. There are challenges, but I think we've stuck to what we think is a model that works, John. So having had the experience, had a cycle of apprenticeships starting and finishing, and it worked, and we got really successful outcomes for the apprentice and successful outcomes for the employer, I think we thought this is the right model. This is the delivery model that works and the, and the wraparound that we provide. So we haven't really deviated very much from that initial model. And I think then that gives consistency and we get the results. Now, when a new employer comes, I can talk about the successes. Um, and, and maybe when the, you know, a lot of employers come and have a meeting with me, be it online, in person, they're also looking at other providers. I know that. Sometimes they tell me and sometimes they don't. But they're definitely um, looking at other people and how their provision differs from ours. So it is an employer choice. All I can say is I know my model works. I know these are the outcomes we get. You know, these are the success rates. This is our retention rate. These are the achievement rates. These are the classifications of the degrees that our apprentices are getting. And I think that honesty really pays off. Um, But the other side of it is that a lot of my business now is repeat business. So one point is an example of that. And I'm very fortunate to have that. But the other part is the recommendation. So I'll often talk to a new employer and say, look, you know, I'm very happy to connect you to um, one of our existing employers so they can have that conversation with you and and, and just share all their experiences with us. And and hopefully that will also help you in your decision-making. So I think it is about, for me, developing this growth. It's very sustainable because we've deliberately made it steady and sure. We've stuck to our model and we're very open. We, 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 you know, just from a university business point of view, you know, our, our website is very open, it's very clear, it's, it gives a lot of information. 
with just being very honest about apprenticeships. And, um, you know, when an employer comes and their view of what an apprentice will gain for their business isn't quite what I think is the right attitude, we won't work with those employers either. You know, if they want to uh, go in with a very low salary for those apprentices, not, you know, I know it's not going to work, that apprentice will walk away quite quickly. So um, I, that's, that's the only things I can think of, really, is, is being very open, honest, steady, sure. Literally, as they say in the old cliche, you know, what it says on the label is literally what we do. Um, and I think that's how we've grown the business. I did want to add in, though, there's some other things that I talk to employees about that I think might help their decision making, why they might want to work with the university is, you know, if they don't want to take on an apprentice, that's fine. And I, I do work with something called the um, Ealing Business Club, which has a, a huge membership. It's, it's, it's a non-for-profit. There's no membership fee. And um, when I talk to employers there, I'm not always going to have an apprenticeship with them. But we talk about the other value of working with the, the university can give them. So we also talk about the added value of working with us in other ways that might help the business. Did you shop around quickly, Shashin, and when when you were looking at degree uh, apprenticeship uh, providers? Or? I, don't, I don't. I don't think so. I don't know how it started. I, to be honest with you, it's seven years ago. I don't know whether we found Janet or she found us. So honestly, but uh, but no, we've not looked back. It, it's a partnership that works really well. Um, the only thing is that last year, as part of some of the supply diversity things we were working on, we started to work with one or two large potential clients. And they were saying that they've also got uh, some training providers uh, that could help us if we wanted to. And so I find, I said, you know, find the, the, the team are looking into it. And we had a couple of people in Manchester when we started the office there uh, that signed up to that sort of scheme. But I think that was only a level four one, not level six. Um, but no, I mean, look, for, for us, it just works. You know, we are actually very close to the University of West London. It's local to us. Uh, you know, we can just pop in and see Janet and vice versa. Um, I have no reason to look anywhere else except if a prospective new client comes back and says, oh, by the way, we have our own training providers supporting other parts of the country, then, you know, then we'll probably have a conversation. Mm. But otherwise in London, I don't see a need, frankly. And just finally, you know, this amazing podcast is obviously titled Why Small Business Matters. Mm. But if we add a question mark to the end of that, um, what's your answer? Janet, why does small business matter? Small business is the backbone of this country. You know, when I look at my local employers, yes, there's some big corporates there, but it's the small businesses that keep the whole, you know, keep this economy going. Um, and and we, we need those small businesses to 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 uh, invest as in those young talents and help them grow. They may stay in that arena. They may set up their own businesses and entrepreneurship and starting your own businesses is growing and growing. And also they may go into large corporates and then come back. So absolutely critical. I think from our point of view, really clients come back and talk about the way a small business is very agile. You know, we can react to changes very quickly. We can support them. We can make decisions. And they really value that. On top of that, if we bring the, the deep expertise we have to solve some of the complex problems, then it also works in their favor. And I think as part of the whole supply diversity where clients are looking at encouraging smaller businesses and SMEs, um, I, I think the future is bright. Um, and I think long uh, the fears have gone now about organizations. And of course, for certain types of work, people will want very large 
organizations. But we've not seen that as a problem. And we've got a very good enterprise client list. So I think if we continue to be innovative, deliver good value, and the good fun about being a small business is, frankly, as a small group of people, we make our own choices. The type of industries we want to work in, we don't have to follow anybody's value system. It's our own value system. It's great. You know, you develop something based on your value system. And if the clients value it, it's a perfect match for for both parties. Um, So, yeah, I I probably made that choice quite late in life, frankly. Uh, I should have probably done it sooner. But, hey, I believe everything in life comes for a reason to teach us and moves us forward. So I don't look back from that point of view. From now on, I think we just want to continue to grow organically and become a little bit bigger, but not so big that we can't, that we start to lose our value system. I don't want to do that. And the quality of life is important to be preserved. Wise words from both of you. Uh, Janet, Shashin, I've had a wonderful time. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and check out some of our earlier episodes. We'll speak to you again soon for the next episode of Why Small Business Matters. <laughs>